It's April 24th, 2019. This is Acacia Thompson for Brooklyn Public Library's Greenpoint Oral History Project for Our Streets, Our Stories. I'm here today on Box Street in Greenpoint, Brooklyn with author and local historian Jeff Cobb. Hi, Jeff. Hello. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm very good. I'm looking forward to sharing what, what I know about the neighborhood with you. And how long have you been in the neighborhood, Jeff? We've been in the neighborhood for a quarter century, like 25 years. And as, as our local historian, can you perhaps start off by telling us about what Greenpoint used to be like environmentally and how it's changed with industry and modernity? So th this is not something that I remember, but one of the things that I've done is I've spent hours and hours uh, looking at memoirs and looking at through old newspapers where the earliest residents recounted what Greenpoint was like. And one of the sad things is that uh, before Greenpoint was industrialized and developed, we're part of Long Island, and it was a beautiful area similar to beach communities on Long Island. Uh, this area was a tidal estuary, uh, and when there was uh, tidal activity, uh, the area would flood. Uh, and it would leave these beautiful miniature bays that were created that were very beautiful to look at. Uh, there, was beach, uh, there were beaches along the East River, uh, and many of the earliest residents have memories of, of swimming in the East River, of digging for clams and crabs, of, of fishing uh, in the East River, of, of Newtown Creek, which is now a heavily, heavily polluted body of water, right? Uh, I wrote a story in my book about a fisherman right, uh, who, who fished for eels and for clams in, in Newtown Creek. Um, there was a beautiful high bank, a uh, sand bank, uh, where Franklin Street is today. Um, there were wildflowers on the top of the bank. It was a, it was a very beautiful, beautiful area. And then what, what's happened because of industrialization is we've gone from that to one of the five most polluted places on planet Earth, full stop. Uh, so when I picked up the story, let's say circa 1994, I remember there were bad days when winds would blow from the uh, sewage treatment plant, which is on Provo Street, uh, off Greenpoint Avenue, and it would irritate your eyes, you would, co you would cough, there were people I knew who gave up great apartments in, in Greenpoint because they were so, uh, they had such allergic reactions to this kind of, of, of bad winds that would blow through. There were really noxious smells. Uh, and as going again back to my research, in the 1870s and 1880s, when Newtown Creek was lined with either oil refineries or uh, bone rendering plants or fertilizer plants. Uh, there were such noxious odors that people couldn't stand them. And I, I've always wondered why so many people moved out of the area. And part of it was that they, the air was just that noxious. Uh, and then eventually what, what happened is that if the wind conditions were right, it would blow our noxious air over to Murray Hill which was a very, and, and still is, a very elite area of Manhattan. And they, they, were, they were outraged 
uh, it was fine when if if the green pointers had to breathe in this this horrible stuff, uh, but they they certainly didn't want to breathe it in, and that was more or less the uh, the condition up until the late nineteen seventies. And uh, there's a, a a Catholic sister who was always uh, I think her name was uh, Sister Barbara Chris. And uh, she became one of the first environmental activists. Uh, and she was very, very intrepid soul. In her 60s, she was climbing over barbed wire fences, dealing with dogs. And uh, she was also a teacher in St. Anthony's, was kind of waking the community up to this uh, environmental uh, disaster that had taken place. Um, I think there's also a, a well, I, need, I should backtrack for a second. So this was the largest place for oil refining right, in the world. Uh, the first oil refinery starts in 1867, uh, where Bushwick Inlet is. Right? Charles Pratt sets up the Astro Refinery. But very, very quickly, 50 refineries line the East River and Newtown Creek. Uh, and it's, it's, it's noxious. Right. The fumes that they're producing are horrible. They also, within seven or eight years, kill off Newtown Creek, right. kill off the water life, uh, the aqua life in, in the East River, and they make this a dead zone. The other thing that happens is that the aquifer becomes saturated with oil. And I just heard about them laying the foundation for a building, I believe, on Manhattan Avenue in Free Freeman. And they had to stop construction because, like the Beverly Hillbillies, all of a sudden this, this right, oil rose to the surface all these years later. So uh, nobody knows how many gallons of oil are actually under Greenpoint. I've read estimates that are 15 million gallons of oil. Uh, and I'm not a toxologist, but I can tell you anecdotally that we have a huge, huge cancer rate. Uh, nobody knows how high uh, because it's never been properly investigated. And there's also another aspect. This is a community of Polish immigrants. Many Polish immigrants came here for 20 or 30 years, went back to Poland and subsequently developed cancer. So. How, how widespread the cancer rate is, we don't know. Uh, what we do know is that in 1950, uh, there was an un underground explosion when the aquifer caught fire. Uh, I remember talking to the woman who, we, who owned our house before we did, and she said that, that the manhole covers exploded and went up 50 feet like champagne corks. Uh, glass broke. Uh, it was the height of the Cold War. People thought that the Russians had detonated a nuclear weapon. Uh, and so that was the first time, I think, that people became aware that there was this uh, kind of horrible mass of oil sitting under, sitting under them. Uh, and how do you think um, that, that it, as you said before, that it's a neighborhood of immigrants, how the neighborhood didn't really start talking about these issues until relatively recently. Well, you also have to understand that a lot of the Polish community 
um, many pe Polish people came here, like my wife, who wanted to learn English. The communist government didn't want them to learn English. So they came here with very, very minimal language skills. Um, they were linguistically isolated from the, uh, from the larger community. And with that idea, we're coming here for, for years to make money. We're going to save all our money, but we're going back to Poland. So I, I don't really think that, that they thought of the larger, longer-term implications. The other thing is that even the, the English speakers in the community, uh, uh, nobody was really aware uh, um, uh, that they were living on a time bomb. Uh, we have two friends who are uh, in cancer treatment who live, who live on Freeman Street. I mean, I always wonder, was, is that a result of living here? You know? Uh, but it's, it's, it's a huge, huge concern. And then there are people who've developed very rare types of cancer. So you have some streets where cancer, where they, there are four or five cases of cancer that appear in the, the, hun, the one in hundreds of thousands. Do, I've heard of dogs having cancer. Um, and, you know, I, I know people who have smelled fumes in their, in their basement. So again, it's just, it's something that uh, uh, it really needs to be looked at system systematically. And I don't think that that's ever really been done and shared with the community. Well, it's wonder how the city and state hasn't really protected the neighborhood. Right. And so how has the, the environment personally been an influence on your, on your life? You know, it's funny, but I, I was thinking about this. So I'm gonna take, it in, take the conversation in a kind of a different ta tack. So, I started off by talking about this area being an estuary, right? So uh, a lot of the areas where people live are not natural land, they're, they're landfill. So I live on Clifford Place between Collier and Messero, and the street that I live on was once a pond, and they actually brought in chained workers from, from Sing Sing Prison, right? a chain gang, and they filled in the ponds. Everything that is uh, west of Franklin is landfill. The, that, those areas were filled in to create our first industry, which was shipbuilding. Um, where you have McGoldrick Park, that was a swamp. That land was filled in. So when Sandy came, right, uh, we became aware, or we, we were reminded of the fact that this is an estuary. And there was five feet of water in our basement. And yet we were lucky because down the street, the st I realized the street is at a slight angle in water, will always find its lowest, or its lowest mark. There were people who had even more water. Uh, Banker Street was completely flooded. Uh, so Sandy was, was extremely traumatic. Uh, and I, but I don't think that we're gonna have another Sandy-like event. Uh, and people will be reminded that, that they're living on, on an estuary. Uh, so flooding is a real concern. And the irony is that these huge apartment buildings that are going up are going up very, very close to the water. All right? And they're going to be the first victims of flooding. So I, I think that, that that was one way that we were really, really reminded uh, of an environmental question, you know, and... and uh, I have to wonder if, if 
because I live in a, a landmark 1880 house. Uh, water has real potential to damage the foundation. And if we have two or three storms like this, what does it mean not only for my house, but for, for many, many houses in the area? Mm-hmm. You know? And what, we all know water, water levels are rising. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's one sort of angle I think a lot of people are, 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 are not looking at as an environmental question, but it's very, very much an, an environmental question. Um, the, but there's also this sense of, of living on a time bomb. And I'm, you know, I wonder one day, am I gonna to go to the doctor and find out that, that I've developed cancer? Because so many people have had that story in Greenpoint, so knock on wood. I, you know, I don't have that, but that could happen. Yeah. And having been here for several decades, perhaps you can talk a little bit about how the neighborhood has changed for you. So when I first came to Greenport, it was sort of like the land that time forgot. It was a post-industrial place. Uh, at one time, Greenpoint was called the American Birmingham because there were so many different kinds of industries here. And it was really unique in, in the world because so many workers walked to the factories where they, where they worked. And then Brooklyn started to deindustrialize after World War II and uh, a number of the, of the industries pulled out and there was, there was this abandoned factory space and when I came here in the 90s, there were a lot of artists and artisans who had taken over these, these spaces uh, for their studios. Uh, so it was a quirky kind of community. Um, there were very few good restaurants. It was heavily, heavily Polish. Uh, I had uh, problems in Polish bars because people accused me of stealing one of their women. I uh, got in a few fist fights over that. But it was, uh, it was so close to Manhattan and yet so isolated. It was a very affordable place to live. Uh, I remember my wife looking through the Polish newspaper and there were pages after pages of apartments offered the standard rent in 1994 for a good place was $500 and you could certainly get cheaper. Uh, and then now we're in the throes of gentrification. So one of the things that really changed uh, the area was the introduction of the ferry, um, which really were a stone's throw across from, from Manhattan. And the ferry sort of uh, hooked us into that. But what we've seen is that because we had so many factories and very few of these industrial areas were landmarked, you could knock them down and throw up large uh, buildings. Uh, it's interesting because in a few days I'm going to lead a Jane's Walk, uh, which commemorates Jane Jacobs, the great urbanist, who if I believe her dates are 19, 1919 to 2006 or 2005, but right before she died, she, one of the last letters she wrote, she wrote a letter to, Green, to Bloomberg uh, about the rezoning so in 1997, if memory serves, they rezoned what were formerly industrial areas and allowed them for mixed use, and hence all of these large uh, buildings, or residential buildings are able to be built in the area. Prior to that, they weren't, they weren't zoned for that. And she said, if you do this, 
what will happen is the people living in uh, along the waterfront in Greenport and Williamsburg will lose control of their waterfront and eventually they'll be pushed out. And I think it's very prescient. So uh, that's happening. Rents have spiked. I'm a school teacher. The only reason why I can afford to live here is because we own we own a house that we live in. Uh, and I'm married to a Polish woman. I'm a Polish speaker. We're aware of how drastically the Polish community here has shrunk because a lot of Polish people are working class and can't afford to live here anymore. So, you know, I've become very, very aware of that. And I think one of the sad things is when we first came here, there were a number of children in Greenpoint. You went, especially on a Saturday, if you went up to, we're sitting on Box Street, if you came up to this area, it was filled with Hispanic children and it was a real street life. People were out playing. That's gone. A lot of families have been forced out of this area. Uh, so, you know, the, there are some of the, uh, some of the uh, changes that I've, I've been aware of. But the other change that's positive is the education level has gone up a lot here. And people who are educated and English speakers, college graduates, know how to fight for their rights. So when you know, 25 years ago, we were completely cut off from the waterfront. We lived so close to the East River, and yet we never had any access to it. So one of the beautiful things is that we got Transmitter Park. Uh, we were in the process of developing Bushwick Inlet Park. Um, so we do have access to the waterfront. I love the barge bar. Uh, but for generations, it's the irony is this community that developed along the waterfront was cut off by industrialization from its own waterfront. They couldn't enjoy it. And so do, are there other things in the neighborhood environmentally that affect you as far as, as living so close to a truck route? Or now the waste treatment center treat the facility is a lot, is a lot better since its renovation, but you've been here long enough to remember that smell. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, tr the trucks are an annoyance, but are the trucks any worse than the, the motorcycle tourists who come here now on, on weekends and... Uh, take the mufflers off the back of their motorcycles and, and ride through the neighborhood. I don't know. The trucks don't, don't bother me that much. And I live on a side street, so don't hear them that much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But um, my larger concern is uh, I would like to see this an area where working class people can, can live and raise a family. And I think the gentrification is making this an area where people will come, they will live a very short time, and then they'll move on to another area. So there won't be the deep roots in the community. So when I wrote my first book, I, I heard this a lot from people. I don't read books, but I bought your book because I am a fourth generation in Greenpoint. And I read your book because I'm proud to be from this place. Uh, so there was a real sense of, of community identification of roots you know this was a place where their grandparents had worked in this factory and that's in danger of of being liquidated uh, if you don't own uh, it's very difficult to buy into the community it's prohibitive and then the, the people who do tend to be uh, you know people who are, are highly educated and so with the idea of, of working class people coming here and, and making it as they've always done 
is problematic. And where are people moving? Where are the, the Polish families that are being pushed out? Where are they moving? So I, I actually, I wrote a, a, an article for this, for Green Pointers. So um, there's a kind of a Polish writer, Sienkiewicz, and Sienkiewicz, more than 100 years ago, talked about Polish farmers leaving to come to America for bread. And we've had three waves of Polish immigration. The first were people who came to work in the sugar refineries starting in the 1870s and 1880s. Then we had another group after World War One, and then uh, another, uh, I'm sorry, after World War Two, and then another group that came, my wife was part of, post-solidarity. So we've always had waves of Polish immigrants coming here. That's not happening anymore. Uh, and economic conditions are such in Poland that a lot of Polish people, it behooves them to go back. And especially if you, if you own anything here, you can sell off your house or property and live like a king. So the traditional Polish immigration that's always driven uh, demographics here is actually working in reverse. So the Polish community is going. Uh, I find that a lot of uh, other Polish people and Hispanics, remember there's a huge Hispanic community here uh, that's been here since the 1920s. And they're going to Maspeth, they're going to Ridgewood, uh, they're going more out onto, onto the, into the periphery. And then I think a lot of, uh, of other people, just especially if they have, they want, they're, they're married and want to fa have a family, they're going other places in New York State or Pennsylvania. It's just it, the cost structure is prohibitive to raise a family here for all but the richest people. Mm -hmm. Could you maybe go back a little bit and talk about, we haven't talked too much in this project about the, the, the Latino community in Greenpoint and certainly north of Greenpoint Avenue, that has been the case. Could you talk about that community a little bit, about okay. when, about when uh, there was immigration here? So I wrote a book about Pete McGinnis and there's an archive at uh, Brooklyn College and I went through that and already in the 1920s, I found that there were Hispanics living right around here in this area but uh, what happens, I believe in 1927, they changed the immigration laws and they make it a lot tougher for Southern Europeans to come here. Actually, I think it's the first time they begin to limit immigration. So uh, a lot of the factories here are now cut off from the immigrants who traditionally provided the labor force. Puerto Ricans were citizens. So they began uh, recruiting Puerto Ricans to come to uh, this area and to Williamsburg to work in factories. So uh, I believe the fourth largest employer in all of New York City was the American Hemp Rope Manufacturing Company, which is located on West and Oak Street. It was a series of 16 buildings. So they actually took a ship to Puerto Rico and came back with 150 females that they isolated in a dorm. They had a dorm mother, and I'm sure they, they horribly underpaid. But that's the be that they're the roots of of the of the Puerto Rican community here. So it was first it was Puerto Rican, but it's going back certainly 90 years, and then uh, Puerto Ricans started to get work uh, as longshoremen. Uh, they did they did work in other factories. They were garment factories. I can still remember. I was training for the marathon in the 1990s, middle 1990s, of Polish women and Hispanic women walking up to still extant garment factories in Williamsburg. Um, 
so they did that the domino factory right by its end was was heavily hispanic right so they they've been a presence in this in this neighborhood for for generations and especially this area was heavily hispanic right. and then the puerto ricans kind of uh, acted as a how can I say, a spearhead. So they really fought a lot of the discrimination. Uh, they fought to have bilingual programs in schools. So other communities, Dominicans, Mexicans, Ecuadorians, Colombians, followed them into this neighborhood uh, because they had, they had set up institutions. Uh, they knew people who didn't speak much English could function here. They could go to the store. Uh, they could go to church. Uh, in and use their native language mm -hmm. but so it's it's one of the sad things I think that in the past 15 years there's been a, a mass exodus of, of Hispanics out of this area and so circling back to the environment how do you see currently the way that we're going in Green Point with the environment well it's interesting because again this is like it's out of my purview um, the environment's a lot cleaner, but that can almost be a dangerous thing. So I see people fishing in Newtown Creek, and I see people crabbing in East River. Uh, one of the other people that you've interviewed is uh, my good friend Ed from um, Ed Michalewski from Oak Street, who's a trained chemist, and he said, you know, no one should ever eat fish or shellfish because. The black mayonnaise still sits, this toxic mix still sits on the bottom of the East River and the bottom of, uh, of Newtown Creek. And it's, it is highly toxic and highly dangerous. As we build more and more, and as we change these uh, industrial sites into residential sites, uh, a lot of these, these uh, factories work with lead. And lead is highly toxic. It doesn't it doesn't wash out. So there's there's supposed remediation. I don't know how effective that is, but especially the idea of, of raising children uh, in buildings that there are on former industrial sites. It's a very very problematic uh, endeavor. But building is going wild here. Uh, so you know again, I'm not a scientist, but I think we need some kind of of long-term health you know comprehensive health study to find out if, if this place is is really safe for people to live subsequently i just remembered this and i think it's a, an important point uh, when we came here in uh, in 1994 one of the prominent businesses along manhattan avenue i believe was called white lung asbestos removal and so many polish immigrants that was their job uh, by the way, one of the buildings that, that they did asbestos removal was before there was Trump Tower, there was Bonwit Teller. And Trump employed a number of Polish people to remove the asbestos, oftentimes without masks. Uh, and the idea was, oh, this was quick money. But what we discovered is that removing asbestos spikes your chances of cancer. So a lot of Polish people came here, they did asbestos work, and then when they returned to Poland, they developed, they developed lung cancer. Uh, 
So it's another thing of, of having a, wor a working class community that was ready to do any kind of work. And they engaged in this very, very dangerous occupation and a lot of people paid for it with their lives. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to say about Greenpoint? Uh, I, I mean, it's a place that I've loved. It's a place that I have really <clears throat> found a home. And yet I'm, I'm worried, and I find that a lot of my, my friends are worried that uh, it's morphing into something that uh, is not resident-friendly. Uh, and hopefully, you know, this interview and, and community activism will, will save this community. Uh, well, that's it. All right. Thank you so much for your story, Jeff. You're welcome.